Welcome to Learning Transfer Radio, the only podcast fully focused on turning learning into improved performance. If you are a learning or HR professional looking to get more from training or maximize the skills of your workforce, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Virgo Connolly. Let's get started. On this episode of Learning Transfer Radio, I'm joined by Jason Durkee. With more than 20 years of experience in L&D, Jason has had a lot of success enabling businesses to innovate and turn learning into action. I'll be talking to Jason about learning design, how he designs his learning programs to ensure transfer and how you can do it too. Jason's website, practicaltrainingtransfer.com, is a fantastic resource for those who want to enable others to turn their learning into action. You can find a link to this site in the show notes of this episode and also at my website, www.virgoconley.com. Let's get started. So Jason, why is this topic so important for learning transfer? Let me approach this in two ways. The first one is very direct, which means learning transfer is the process which takes learning input and transfers that to performance and results. So if you think about it that way, there are no results without learning transfer. And that's critical for the learners themselves, of course, for the sponsoring people, and also for our job satisfaction and value that we provide. Maybe a more anecdotal style, though, is if, let me talk about my journey that got me into learning transfer. So Back in the 90s, I was a a very excited, um, energetic, and well-meaning, somewhat clueless trainer. And I had this idea that I wanted to do good work, and I wanted the learners to get a benefit. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. And so I started looking at different ways to get more results. So the first thing I encountered in the 90s, human performance improvement was a bit of a boom. And so I checked this out, and I learned that there's a lot of different causes for lack of performance improvement. And a lot of those don't have anything to do with lack of knowledge or skills, which means training won't make a difference. This was really, really useful. Then the next kind of step was coaching, which is more about how to use it on the job focusing on what people do rather than what they learn. And I thought, okay, focus on the application and think about how to actually use it. This was really useful too. And then in about maybe 2002 or so, I ran into the disciplines of breakthrough learning. That was your first guest, Roy, and the other 60s people. And this kind of just put together a whole structure for how to take the training that we do and lead it towards results. They called it learning transfer, and I thought, that makes a lot of sense. And so since then, I've really been focused on trying to take the learning, get it used on the job, make sure people can do it well enough to become competent, and eventually, hopefully, get those results. It seems like we had similar paths in L&D. We were facilitators of learning, but we wanted more. We wanted to impact the change of people when they left the classroom. It's interesting that you mentioned HPI, human performance improvement. There's so many factors that influence a person's performance. And this is one of the issues that we face in L&D. It's that sometimes the business sees us as this panacea for all of corporate ills, and it's, it's simply just not the case. 
So Jason, what's the biggest challenge faced by learning and development teams when they're, when they're designing for transfer? Let me give you several different problems that I see very often. And if we could overcome these, we could probably get better transfer and better results. So one of them is there's a misunderstanding that learning equals inputting knowledge. And that's where you get like training with really thick binders. You have a lot of lecture. It could be a pretty dense e-learning module. It could even be a lot of assessment and quizzy type of stuff. But I think there's too much attention paid to getting people new information that they understand at a kind of shallow superficial level and not nearly enough attention given to, okay, taking what they already know and helping them use that smoother and better and apply it more effectively. So if we could think of learning as not just adding more, but actually taking maybe what they already have and making sure it gets used, that would be a huge improvement. Another one is I don't think a lot of people understand the problems that learners face when they try to apply something. For example, one of the common situations is that they forget the content. This is natural. So we have to create a program that allows them to kind of review and remember and take that input and turn it into kind of long-term memory. Another thing is, well, a lot of people learn something and understand it, but they can't quite do it yet. So we have to provide opportunities for them to practice and repeat it and do it and build those muscles until they get real competency. One more is that maybe they understand and maybe they even have the skills, but if what they're doing involves something that's a completely different way of working or thinking or perceiving the world, they're oftentimes going to feel worried that what happens if this doesn't work? What if I fail? And they know the old way, it's not perfect, but they know what happens. And they think, I might try this new way, but I might really mess up. And so that lack of confidence to try is another issue. So you have to really set things up to help them feel confident, to calm down, break it into baby steps, make sure that they get the results they want. Um, Two more quick ones. Another thing is just bad design. If you want learning transfer, you're almost always going to have to do a series or a process. A one-off training hit and run isn't going to work. And this is one thing that's become easier as we have, you know, new technology, different ways of working. There's the blended learning approach is really, really good for transfer. And finally, one last thing that you don't hear that much, but I think is really true is a lot of L&D people think that they need to do everything by themselves. They can't bother the busy line managers or the important sponsors. Unfortunately, you cannot get transfer without doing things in the workplace. And that is really the territory of those line people get their help, ask for their help, support them. But remember, you don't have to do everything. And when they help you, say thanks. I love how you said learning is not just giving people new information. If all we had were problems that, that could be solved by giving people new information, 
sure anyone with a with a broadband connection would not have a, a problem in the world. So I love how you mentioned that. And then we we t- start talking about the problems faced by learners. So they forget things. So we need to reinforce them. The the content needs to be relevant. We need to give them opportunities for practice. Sometimes you might not be confident to actually take this new information and apply it. And so how can we support them there? And then, you know, it takes a village. So it's not just L&D. We're not alone in this. We do need to kind of lean on the support of the business through peers uh, and through the line managers of the learner as well. Jason, I might go to my next question. So talking more about examples from your past. So can you give me one concrete solution that you've implemented that really showcases how you've you've overcome the challenges faced in learning transfer? Sure. Let me give you two, sorry, but the first one is a, a simple one and the second one is maybe more involved. And I hope right. that this gives people maybe an idea of like the two extremes or the two bookends so that when they're thinking, if I want to take my good training that I have now and build a strong transfer architecture around that, what is the kind of zone that I should be thinking about? So the first simple example is around presentation skills. We have a, a presentation training course that we've done for many, many years. It was developed back in the 90s, but it's just so simple and so orthodox, but very effective. Two-day program, day one is a little bit of input and practice. Day two, everybody gives presentations, they watch a video, they redo it, and you get this incredible before and after change where like day one, everyone has terrible slides and incomprehensible story and low energy, confusing presentation. And the end of day two, 14 hours later, they're showing beautiful stuff in a smart story with really persuasive delivery. So it has this great before and after effect. Now, for that reason, people feel an incredible sense of achievement. They see the improvement of themselves and the people around them immediately, and they feel really good about this. But what I realized is that when I would go back and visit clients who've taken this program, three months, six months later, Say I would meet one of the former learners in the hall, and I'd say, hey, how are things going? They would almost always say, oh, you're the presentation guy. Good to see you. Yeah, that was a great course. And I'd ask, hey, are you using it? And they'd say, oh, well, I haven't had a chance to yet, but when I do, it's going to be great. And so what we really realized was that although – People were developing their skills during the course. No one had an opportunity to use it. And so this is an example where you really want to bring in the manager. They don't have to do a lot. All they have to do is create an opportunity for these people to practice. It could be a a forced artificial opportunity once a month in a regular meeting, or it could be something more legitimate, say that you only choose people who know they have important presentations coming up. But the point is they need to practice. And so you need the manager to help them create those chances. One other thing, when they do practice, well, they should get feedback. And so you make a little job aid for the manager and the other people that are going to listen. Here are the items you want to give feedback on and give them feedback that's consistent with the course. But just that difference of taking a two-day standalone program, but... Before it happens, the manager has a quick meeting. Where are you going to use this and when? They plan out at least three 
chances, usually two weeks or so apart, each time that happens, there's some feedback, it makes a world of difference. So that is like one simple example. It's not simple. It's, it's actually a lot more complex than how a lot of people in L&D would approach that, that problem. They, they would have given um, the presentation skills. You know, here's how, you, how to create an agenda. Here's how to ensure you've got interaction. Here's how you, you create en- engagement during your presentation. And here's how you deliver a great presentation. Because what you've done is you've added a whole support structure around that training. So you've got your, your meetings with your manager beforehand. So this is what's going to happen in this, in this training. This is how the, the participant is going to improve their skills, and this is how they can actually use those skills to be better at whatever it is they do. Is it presenting in meetings or actually creating presentations themselves? And then after the training, so after they've, they've got that, that great kind of peer feedback during the training, they've got opportunities to actually practice. And you're ensuring that that actually happens. You're ensuring transfer, basically. You're giving them all the opportunities to to improve their skills, but then you're actually giving them an opportunity to transfer their skills. And it's one of the most important things in transfer is to actually give them an opportunity to practice and to actually apply. So I love how you've added in that, that support structure of the manager. And you mentioned feedback as well. So supporting the managers, giving them a little checklist, things to look out for, questions of that nature. Who would the feedback be more impactful coming from? Would it be from, like, a, let's say, a presentation specialist or a, an expert like yourself? Or is it more important to come from the manager? Or does it matter? I think that it depends what you're trying to do. So right. if you want to develop your skills more, having, say, uh, who would, you know, the specialist that you mentioned would be best because they know... What are the important points? Also, when giving feedback, something that a lot of people overlook is that there's probably a thousand things that could be improved. Mm. And a specialist knows, okay, out of those a thousand, for this particular person in this situation, what are the two that will have an outsized difference? And also, what are the one or two that are building blocks that will lead them, you know, providing the structure, base, and foundation to get to the next level. That's something that specialists, if they're good at developing people, are better at than, say, a manager. Now, there's one thing, though, that a manager or even colleagues can be really good at. And this is something we need to think about when you do transfer. When we do a a training program, in most cases, we're going to kind of generalize the content, If nothing else, it's going to definitely be more general than whatever their specific role is. And so, say we did presentation and take, for example, that the participant is a salesperson working in the pharmaceutical industry. Okay, even in that situation, you have a whole bunch of different regions. You have different types of customers. Someone works with like a very large, sophisticated hospital environment. Other one is going to like, you know, small Um, clinics. And so the same presentation content is going to have to be tweaked for different, you know, materials, whether they're explaining a new um, product or whether they're talking about test results and also for a different uh, listener. And so kind of taking the general content from the training course and really Adjusting it and making sure it's a perfect match for the specific work situation is something that, of course, people who live in that environment and do well there are better than the trainer is. And so when we think about application, I often like 
that sort of support about how to really get the general ideas used and leading to results. Yeah, it's it's all about the topic of relevance, isn't it? Like how relevant is this to me and my performance? And um, so that example that you gave there of the 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 sales rep going to into hospitals or going to kind of more general practices, the skills needed in, in each situation might be slightly different. And you need to kind of tailor your your presentation skills or whatever that course is to be specific for selling to audience A and audience B. The learner really needs to see the, the link between what I'm doing in this course and how I'm actually going to improve my performance after the course. So you're really kind of, you're bridging that gap for them mentally during the training. Okay, so you mentioned this was maybe a more simple uh, example. You've got a more yes. complex example. Yes, and not because complex is good. It's best to be as simple as possible. But some sort of topics do, there's a lot of obstacles to get an effective transfer. And the one that for us is maybe the most complicated or difficult or has the most kind of considerations that you need to overcome is anything that involves like changing the way people think or feel what we call perception. Some examples of that would be like moving from a, a top-down management style to more of a, you know, involved, engaging, delegation-focused approach. Going from a know all the answers and teach people what to do to more of a facilitative, you know, growth mindset, coaching type of feel. And these types of topics are very threatening to the people who take them because they're feeling like they have to like change themselves or throw something away. And um, it just is very stressful. Now, one example that we have with this is that we do a lot of uh, innovation training especially for very conservative, large companies. And the people that show up are people who've been really successful in the traditional old way of doing things, but they know in their heads that they should try some new challenges. They should, you know, go to new areas, but it just has never been something they've done before. They have no role models And all of their experience in the company has basically been that the nail that sticks out gets smacked down. And so what we try to do is like, okay, the content is super simple. There's just three parts of the content for our model of innovation that you should, you know, you need to identify the real needs. That's kind of a design thinking thing. Then you should have a a fresh new idea. And then you should actually do it. That's kind of an action thing. And so needs, idea, action. That's the whole course. Okay. Now, I started this back in 2003. And what I had assumed was that helping these people get new ideas would basically solve the problem. Because they're hardworking, very intelligent guys with a lot of achievement. But What I realized is that even though they got ideas during the program, no one would do them. And I was so frustrated. And so we always had follow-up coaching calls with every single participant. And we'd call them and ask, hey, what'd you do? What's going well? What's not going well? And I got so fed up with getting, you know, reports saying, great training, I loved it, good stuff, but I haven't done anything. So we basically just made a list of all the reasons that they didn't do anything and kind of like whack-a-mole decided to just kill all these reasons and never be told again, I didn't do it because. And so one of the things we came up with was like, well, 
people said, you know, we really enjoy the case studies of these, you know, innovative companies, but that's not us. And so we said, okay, no more case studies. Everybody bring a real problem from your job, and we're going to use that as the material during the course. So it really becomes an action learning focus. Okay. Another thing is they're like, well, I got the ideas, but I don't know how to implement it. I was like, okay, well, let's focus on that. In the training, we added the action section. Then the next problem was, okay, well, I want to do it, but I'm just too busy. Okay, let's try and provide some structure afterwards with follow-ups and um, also some sort of reporting. Okay, another one was like, well, I'd like to do something, but you know, I just started at this company, and I'm not a senior person. When I become a VP, then I'll really get going on this innovation. We said, no, okay. Let's break it down to your level. Anything that you can do now, just try it. A baby step. You know, one millimeter is enough. Just do something. Then as they get started, a couple other problems occur. So one of them's like, well, I'm really motivated to do this. I took the course. I got the skills. I really like this. But the people around me, they haven't. And they don't have the understanding to really, you know, support this. And I don't feel confident to get them to buy in and to support me. So we put out more like kind of job aids to support that. Another one was, well, I tried, but I ran into obstacles and I can't overcome them. What should I do? But I don't feel good talking to the other people because it's a very specific situation. Okay, that's where your individual coaching shows up. And I just laid out a whole bunch of stuff. But to simplify what that looks like, you have a topic that people deal with during the course. You make very specific plans for the next month or so. You follow that up with a little bit of digital support and one coaching call. Then we have another meeting. And here you take the information from everybody. They share it. They review it. They discuss it. They find out what is working well for other people and they copy it. They figure out what were the problems and get specific advice from the people around them. And this kind of cycle of a little input, try it, individual support, and reflect done two or three times can get great, great results. But again, the whole tree, the whole key to making this successful had nothing to do with making better content or adding activities to the training. It's all about how to support and ensure that they use it on the job, and when they do, that they get the results they want. Yeah, that's a super example. When I think of the hours that I've spent trying to create the most elaborate and engaging of e-learnings and the amount of time I've wasted doing that kind of thing, because really you need to keep your content simple and focus on the transfer. What are people actually going to do with this after after the e-learning, after the lesson, after whatever's going to happen? I loved how you, you approached the analysis of, of learning transfer. So did learning transfer happen? Um, you followed up with, with the different participants and they gave you a variety of different solutions that you could that you took to to improve on your on your training or on your on your innovation program. That's I think that's one thing that people in LD don't really do. I think it's a lot of times we're not really expected to do it, so we don't do it. Um, but if you're if you're passionate about learning transfer, if you're passionate about 
bringing new ideas to your company and helping people to grow through learning this is something that you took on your own to figure out what exactly is not working here and here's here's what we can do to actually improve in this situation so you did a, a learning transfer analysis and you found that peers weren't supporting uh, there was a lack of follow-ups people were too busy there was a lot of different examples that you gave there um, and it really reminded me of there's a survey, there's a piece of a, there's a research tool that you can use called the Learning Transfer System Inventory, the LTSI. So the LTSI is used to get a better understanding of the learning environment, the learning and the, the learning design uh, that's in place at a, at, a, at a company or a place of work. And what you did, was you kind of, you did a reverse analysis. So you, you implemented the training and then you tried to figure out all the things that happened and why it didn't work. Another approach would have been to use a, a tool like the Learning Transfer System Inventory to explore what's my company like, what is the environment like, how are our training materials perceived, what are the characteristics of a learner and their support environment that may help this work or, what, or may make this fall down after the training. So I love the proactive approach that you took there to figuring out how, how this training could be improved and then you took steps to actually improve it. So Jason, these are two great examples. You give a more simple example of the presentation skills course in place in your company. And you also give an example of innovation training. So how did this approach to taking a more focused design on learning transfer affect the learners and affect the the learning that was transferred in the place of work? So the type of results that you'll get, it when people apply learning to their job, what you get is outputs that you would expect from their role. So, for example, in the presentation course, okay, if it's salespeople taking that, they're going to hopefully have more successful presentations. So you would hope that, say, if it was a competitive bidding type of situation, before you would have, say, 40% success rate, maybe that's going to go to 50%. If it's a development person who maybe makes new products in their presentations or towards, you know, internally to help everyone understand what's going on, we hope that maybe in the same amount of time, everybody can understand better. And that means that marketing can get started with their communication faster. It means that the salespeople ask less questions and there's less mistakes. And so, the thing about transfer is it's just people doing their job, actually. So the type of results you get is people doing their jobs usually faster, better, or smarter. Um, the innovation example is one of my favorites because innovation, by its nature, is doing things that no one has done until now. And I, I just love that topic because you get any company has stuff that people know needs to be done and no one had the courage to do it, or no one had an idea about how to actually get it done. And that's what you get every single time. So if it's a manager, she might be saying, our team is now remote. They're spread all around the world. How do we make sure that we have good communication and maintain engagement? Well, that's the kind of results you're going to get. If you go to someone who's maybe on the production side, she might be saying, okay, I need to plan so that 
each model of, say, our new car, which usually takes three years to go from planning to full production, can we shorten this down to two and a half years? And that's the type of thing you're going to get. And like the example I gave of the innovation, if you make the actual transfer and the application happen during the program, what that means is that at the end of the program, you have those results. And so what we always do is if there's a solid enough program that we know there's going to be very obvious and exciting results, there's always a presentation from the participants directly to top management at the end, not talking about here is our group thought about something, here's our idea. No. This is what I already achieved. This is how I did it. Here's in addition what I learned and here's what I'm going to do going forward. And the leadership loves that. It's not about training. It's all about work. They've already seen the results. It's talking about language and content that they're very familiar with. And one of the most exciting things to me is that when you start getting really obvious, big, clear, exciting results, the discussion among leadership really changes. And to give you an example, like one of our clients that does a lot of this leadership stuff, they have a very intense program for just a limited number of people each year. And this year, when we went to discussing it, there was a bit of a kind of horse trading battle among the board members. And one of them's like, well, this is such a good program. I don't have anybody this year that I think can benefit from it enough. And there's another department that's saying, you know, we have two really important strategic initiatives this year. Can someone give me your spot? Because I want to put it into this program and use that as a catalyst to get these results. And when you have, you know, leadership thinking about, you know, we're going to use the learning as a way to get the results, it's it coordinates itself. Everything's aligned. They're supportive. Everyone wins. And when they do well, you you applaud the learners. You say congratulations and thank you to their colleagues and give a high five to the manager and let those guys be the heroes, take the credit, and our life is so much easier, better, and more satisfying. So Jason, what three things can someone listening to this do to improve this area of L&D right now? Okay. The first thing is to actually do something. Do anything is fine. And what I mean by that is, again, in learning, people think too much about study, think, plan, input, read. Nothing gets transferred with any of those actions. Just do something. Make an action plan, have a follow-up coaching call, have a before or after manager meeting. It doesn't matter. From where you start, just take one little step and make it slightly better, but you have to actually do something. It's about action. The second thing is start small. You don't have to boil the ocean. It doesn't have to happen overnight. There's so many different programs that any company is running, don't expect you're going to have like an across-the-board manager uh, before and after with these super fancy support structures for everything immediately. No, 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 no. Again, just have a follow-up survey two months later. Did you use it? Or maybe you ask people, 
what was the one thing that was really useful on the job? And you share it with all the participants. They get excited, remember, and start you know, feeding off each other. Start very, very small. And at that point, I would say, go for low friction. A lot of people worry that like, oh, how are we going to get buy-in? Well, there's always at least one department with someone who's very supportive and challenging and wants to do a good job. Find them and just work with them. Go with the people you know and who like you. Choose the program that you have control over. Start where it's easy and get some small wins. And that really blends to point number three, which is at the very beginning, especially if you're going to do anything that involves managers, you want to make sure that you have like a low risk and a big win. So if you can have them like the presentation example I gave, all a manager has to do is say, make a presentation here, here, here. The manager doesn't have to be there. They don't have to care. They don't have to listen. They don't have to teach them. All they have to do is schedule something and give orders. Most managers are good at that and willing to do it. So something that is very low energy for the manager, but where you have a high potential to get a big, obvious win is great. And that's why I think, actually, innovation or creative thinking, anything that's a a new deal is great because everything good that happens is somehow linked to the program. I love it. Thank you for your advice, Jason. I think that's really valuable advice to, to do anything. Let's get started. Let's be proactive and actually do something different here. Uh, but start small and start low friction. Um, your example of bringing managers more in, on board. Managers have a lot to do already. Mm. So making it really small steps for them, taking a bit of work on, for them, kind of providing templates and that kind of thing. Because this is a, a change initiative. This is something different for, for everybody, for, for us as L&D professionals, for the learners and for managers as well, if they're going to be getting involved. So try to make it as kind of... Uh, as light and as low friction as possible for them in order to see the payoffs. If we make it really difficult, if we make it kind of like, this is like trying to really sell the benefits, but it's really, really a lot of different steps and too many kind of steps to, to jump through or too many hoops to jump through. It's just, it's not going to, not going to have any payoff. Make it low friction, make it small, get those small wins and then build from there. Get progressively more complex. Last question, Jason. So this has been a great chat, Jason. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners learn more about you and learn more about your work? Okay, let me answer this slightly wider. Here's my kind of best of learning transfer uh, resources. So I think if you want to understand the whole learning transfer world, you really should start with the six disciplines of breakthrough learning at the 60s. Then... If you want to look at the kind of research behind that, then you want to get uh, Ina's book about transfer, or you can check out Fergal's uh, blog posts, and I hope some of these podcasts, because he does a great job of making research, which isn't that practical and oftentimes not that fun, into easy-to-understand, actionable stuff. I would say if you need an explanation of why transfer is important, especially something that you can uh, use to convince other people, Paul Matthews does a really good job of talking about the kind of why transfer is important. For um, design, of course, I'm biased, but I think that 
I do a pretty good job. And so my regular work is as a training vendor, actually in Tokyo, Japan. And my company is called Idea Development because, like I said, we do a lot of creative thinking and innovation training. But all of the learning transfer stuff that we developed over the years has become more popular, especially outside of Japan. It needs to be in English. And so together with my colleague, Ian Townley, we made a little website that has some resources called Practical Training Transfer, which has, I think, some good stuff about design, how to make programs that hopefully will transfer better. And if you need like some sort of supporting uh, IT, there's a bunch of different programs for that. And finally, if you want evaluation, well, I really think that learning transfer and these kind of journeys um, is supported best by Rob Brinkerhoff's success case method. And so that's kind of my suggestions for if you want to get started with learning transfer, look at that stuff. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jason. Uh, just a, a quick plug for your, for your website, Practical Training Transfer. Uh, it is full of resources that you can download, lots of templates, lots of guides for speaking to managers, lots of guides for um, for different types of training. So if you've got more of a soft skills training, if you've got more of a, a more kind of a technical skills training, how should you design your programs around those different things uh, to bring in kind of a blended learning and and spaced repetition and, and many other factors to improve on your on your learning transfer results. But for now, Jason, this has been a great chat. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. You have a great day as well. I really enjoyed my chat with Jason and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I loved how Jason spoke about learning design as designing the complete learning experience. So what happens before a participant even begins learning and the support that they require at this stage and what happens after the learning event has occurred. Jason puts a real emphasis on ensuring what was learned in training is made visible in the work environment as a key part of the learning experience, thereby bridging the gap between learning and performance and making long-term transfer more likely. Jason's website, Practical Training Transfer, is full of templates and handy guides for designing effective learning programs and events. I've linked to this website in the show notes and at fergoconnolly.com. But just listening to this podcast is not enough. You need to do something with what you just learned. The value of an idea lies in the using of it. So take as much value from this discussion as you can by taking action. You can find out more about Learning Transfer and this podcast by going to my website, www.fergilconnolly.com. Thanks for tuning in.